There's no denying that the Sacramento Kings are a good basketball team, but when they play teams the caliber of the Boston Celtics or Milwaukee Bucks, you can see there's that championship gear that those S-tier teams have that Sacramento hasn't quite developed yet. The Kings open up a four-game homestand with a loss on the second night of a back-to-back -to, -back to the Boston Celtics. You're listening to Locked on Kings. You are Locked on Kings, your daily Sacramento Kings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it is that time. Time for another episode of Locked On King. Hello and welcome into Locked on Kings, your podcast hub for Sacramento Kings coverage all regular season long and soon to be all playoffs long. My name is Matt George. I have the privilege of being your host here. I'm a Sacramento sports reporter and producer for ABC 10 News. Great to see the Sacramento Kings back on their home floor. Unfortunately, they return home on the second night of a back-to-back -back where the Boston Celtics were already in town waiting for them. In fact, I found out that the Celtics spent uh, yesterday and some time over the weekend in Napa getting some rest. Now, the Celtics came into this game. This was the sixth and final game of a long and pretty brutal road trip for them. But a team the caliber of the Boston Celtics, typically that doesn't show as much, or that fatigue doesn't show as much for a team that knows how to win like the Celtics do. And like I mentioned in the introduction, we're going to talk a lot today about that championship gear, right? That proverbial switch that teams the caliber of the Celtics, teams the, teams the calendar, uh, caliber of the uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, the, the Golden State Warriors for years always had that just extra level that they could take their game to that even great teams had trouble dealing with, right? The Boston Celtics had trouble dealing with that extra gear that the Golden State Warriors last year were able to flip to. Sometimes it's carried off the backs of one or two stars. Other times it's just how the team as a whole plays. Well, tonight the Sacramento Kings ran into that extra gear for the Boston Celtics, and in particular it was on the defensive end of the floor. Now the Celtics are a pretty unique team in the sense that they both have a top 10 offense and top 10 defense, so they can beat you on both sides. And there are a lot of things that the Sacramento Kings did right in this game that at some points, didn't even matter. Look, the first half was excellent for the Sacramento Kings. The first half was excellent for the Boston Celtics. This game got off to a really, really fast start, both teams scoring. Uh, in fact, the game opened up with free cookies for everybody in attendance as the first possession. Jason Tatum was fouled, stepped to the free throw line, missed consecutive free throws, so everybody in this building got free cookies. And I'm going to backtrack really quick. There were a lot of Celtics fans in the Golden 1 Center tonight. I know that bothers some Kings fans. I also understand season ticket holders who make some of their money back or pay for their season tickets by selling these games to big Eastern Conference opponents or selling their tickets for the Lakers game or selling their tickets to the, for the Warriors game to fans that are willing to pay top dollar in order to see their team here in Sacramento. I don't blame fans at all. I think it adds to the atmosphere. I honestly thought there were more Boston Celtics fans in this building tonight than we've seen from the Lakers or maybe even the Warriors this season. And I don't think I'm exaggerating. There were a lot of Celtics fans in this building. Now that's not to say the Celtics came in and took over the Golden 1 Center because the crowd was still very much in favor of the Sacramento Kings. It was a sellout or close to a sellout environment. Uh, it was awesome to watch two of the most exciting teams in the NBA play in front of a packed house. So I personally don't have a problem with the amount of Celtics fans that were in there. We got uh, treated really to a great show right out of the gate. In fact, there wasn't a timeout called for the first like four or five minutes of this game and it was just back and forth throwing punches three pointers made like the Kings came out of the gate red hot from three point range Kessler Edwards hit a couple of threes Keegan Murray was hitting threes like the Kings came out and they responded in a way that I was looking for 
right? On yesterday's Locked on Kings podcast, after the Kings got, some would say, embarrassed, they lost uh, and were down by 25 to the Utah Jazz, a very, very shorthanded Jazz team. I said that I wanted the Kings to respond tonight. Now, that could have a bunch of different definitions. A response could be come back and on your home floor beat a good Celtics team. For me, the response was, okay, clearly to start the game in Utah, the Sacramento Kings weren't playing their game. I'm sure fatigue played a major factor. In fact, Mike Brown shared in his pregame press conference that that's the most tired he's been heading into a game. Of course, I think the uh, altitude plays a little bit of a factor in Salt Lake City too, but the Kings weren't making excuses. Mike was just saying, clearly there was some fatigue with this team going into that game. Maybe that had something to do with how the Kings really weren't even prepared to play their game and look uh, even remotely uh, similar to how well they play on the offensive side of the ball. Well, tonight, they responded right out of the gate playing their basketball and scoring a bunch of points. The only problem was, of course, they couldn't really stop the Boston Celtics from scoring points either. But here's where the Celtics turned on that, that championship switch, right? Here's where that championship gear flips into place that the Sacramento Kings can't really answer. The way the first half ended was weird. We're going to talk about the officiating because the final like three possessions of the first half were three questionable calls against the Sacramento Kings and kind of left a sour taste in your mouth going into the halftime break. Then the Celtics came out to start the second half. I, I think they hit a three right away. They were like 7 of 11 or 7 of 12 or something like that from three-point range in the third quarter, so they definitely caught fire offensively. But then defensively, they weren't allowing the Sacramento Kings to get the looks and get the touches and run their offense that they were able to do effectively in the first half. The Celtics outscored the Kings 72-55 to 55 in the second half. Yeah, that's a big difference. The Kings, to put this into perspective, right, the Kings lead the NBA in scoring, 121 points per game. The two meetings against the Boston Celtics this year, the game in Boston, the Kings scored only 104 points. Tonight, the Kings only scored 109 points, losing 132 to 109. So clearly the Boston Celtics are doing something right offensively, or rather defensively, if they can hold the Kings under 110 points and well under their season average in both those games. It's the defensive side of the ball where the Boston Celtics flipped that switch and took control. Now, for the Kings defensively, I actually thought the Kings had some really solid moments defensively. You're going to see 132 points and go, what else is new? The Kings give up 130 points way too much. It's very difficult to win when the Kings are giving up 130, even though they're very capable of scoring 130 themselves, right? The final score does not reflect, I thought, how well the Sacramento Kings played defensively at times, especially in the first half. There were a couple of possessions where De'Aaron Fox, I thought, played fantastic defense on Jason Tatum. And even a couple possessions where uh, Fox and Davion Mitchell and, and a couple Kings by committee played a really, really good defense on Jalen Brown. thing is, it didn't matter. Those two guys, especially Jason Tatum, they're just such excellent shot makers. There's a play that was happening right here. It's behind the camera, so obviously you can't see it. Uh, but... It was right here on the wing, and Tatum was going one-on-one -on -one against Fox. By the way, they're two very close friends. Uh, Tatum was at Fox's wedding. Uh, not that that matters, but I think it's appropriate context. Anyway, the two of them are going right at one another, and Fox is all up in his grill, right? Fox does not stop or allow him to get past. Fox is not biting on pump fakes. And then when uh, Tatum does rise to, uh, to put up the shot, Fox is right in his face, smothering defense, 
some of the best defense you could possibly play against Jason Tatum, and he still buried the bucket. And he did that a handful of times against a handful of different Kings in this game. I thought defensively the Kings were rotating well. I thought they were communicating well. I thought they came out with a defensive presence and a defensive effort, especially in that first half, despite the fact that they were on a second night of a back-to-back. -back. That was a response that I wanted to see from their loss in Utah. So even though the Kings gave up 132 points in this game, I'm not furious with how they played defensively. I know defense is a pitfall of this Kings team. I know defense could obviously get better. We expect the Kings to lose games because of their defense from time to time. And here you had a championship caliber program not only exploit the Kings defense, lean on their big shot makers to hit big shots in crucial moments, then as a team defensively, they took the Sacramento Kings out of their game. And how did they do that? Well, DeMontis Sabonis said after the game, that they were switching a lot and forcing the Kings in a lot of ISO sets. DeMontis Sabonis was getting the ball where he normally gets it in the high and low post. The game was running through Sabonis a lot in the first half, and we saw the Kings having offensive success based off of that. In the second half, you started to see the Celtics picking up DeMontis Sabonis at the three-point line. Now, I know Sabonis is not necessarily a three-point threat, and they weren't necessarily locking him down and smothering him to deny him the ball so that he couldn't put up threes, not the same way you would guard an elite shooter in the league, but they were making sure that he had a body on him and that he didn't have any open passing lanes or he wasn't able to comfortably put the ball on the floor and get to his spots as soon as he got even remotely close to the three-point line. Like, they made the extra effort to not allow DeMontis Sabonis to get comfortable and not allow the Sacramento Kings to run comfortably through him, and it clearly had an effect as the Kings clearly were disjointed. I mean, 55 points and a half isn't terrible, but it's certainly not at the standard of the Sacramento Kings in that second half. The isolation ball played right into the hands of Boston, and they forced the Kings into that spot. Last night, I felt the Kings really beat themselves. They weren't ready to play their style of offense, and the Utah Jazz didn't, not discrediting what the Jazz did, because I thought they did an excellent job at times, and then offensively the Jazz had a fantastic night, but the Kings offensively, I felt, really held themselves back, shot themselves in the foot. Tonight, it was the Boston Celtics who forced the Kings into spots and into positions that they don't necessarily want to be in. And maybe this is a necessary evil. Maybe the Sacramento Kings need to experience this. I don't think there are too many teams, if any teams in the Western Conference, that are going to be able to do this to the Sacramento Kings as effective as the Celtics did tonight. But teams are watching this film. Team sees, okay, disrupt the Kings. Don't allow DeMontis Sabonis to get comfortable. Don't allow him to work the passing lanes that he normally gets. De get deflections. Poke the ball away. Get him frustrated. Other teams are seeing that. They're going to try and do that. So the Kings need to recognize how the Celtics have played them and even the Toronto Raptors in this building earlier this year. How those teams have played the Kings in those games, the physicality and how they denied DeMontis Sabonis to get to his spots and figure out how to counter that if they want to be effective in the playoffs. These are good lessons to learn in the regular season and I'd like to see and I expect to see Mike Brown and the Kings incorporate that certainly in their film sessions and when we see them on the floor for the remainder of this year. I really was happy with how the Kings started this game. They scored 32 points in the first quarter, 57% from the field, 43% from three-point range. They went 6 of 14 uh, from the three-point line. Again, that response to how poorly they started offensively in last night's game was a reminder that that is not who the Kings are and this is who the Kings are tonight. They forced the Boston Celtics to really take over defensively in order to win this game. Kings played significantly better against the Milwaukee Bucks. And some would argue, I actually don't know off the top of my head statistically, I think the Bucks have a better overall team defense and better team defensive numbers than the Boston Celtics do, if I'm not mistaken. But the Kings played very, very well in this building against the Bucks. Certainly a lot better than they played tonight against the Celtics. What was the difference? Second night of a back-to-back. -back. Fatigue. Like, I didn't hear any Kings using fatigue as an excuse. They were asked about it. 
This was the fifth game they played in seven nights, right? The Kings have played a lot of basketball lately, and they just got back from a four-game road trip. I don't care who you are, that's tiring. We're not using it as an excuse here on Locked on Kings. We're just pointing out the facts, pointing out the reality. And it also looked like, in addition to the great defense that the Celtics were playing in the second half, also looked like the legs came uh, fell out from underneath the Kings. Their three-point shots came up short. There were a lot of air balls by the Kings in tonight's game. So, yes, I do believe fatigue played a factor, which is good in the sense that now the Kings have back-to-back -back days off before Friday's game against the Phoenix Suns, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on in the, in the podcast. Now, you're probably wondering, hey, Matt, you're pretty decently into this podcast. You haven't talked about the officiating yet. Well, I got two questions for you. Number one is, how much of an excuse do you put on fatigue? Like, do you, do you recognize, hey, the Kings playing five games in seven nights, that definitely had an effect on tonight's game, and that kind of affects how I look at the Kings' performance against the Celtics. Some are calling it a scheduled loss. Do you feel that way or not? That's number one. The other question is this. How much do you blame the officials tonight? Because I said last night that the Kings' loss of the Utah Jazz, there certainly were some poor officiated moments, especially non-calls against DeMonte Sabonis in the fourth quarter of that game. And I said that was a fan excuse. That was not a Kings excuse. The Kings can't use that as an excuse last night because they fell down by 25 to a Utah Jazz team missing their three best players, or three of their best players, right? Tonight, again, I don't hear any Sacramento Kings making an excuse about the officiating. We never asked about it. And if you look at the numbers... It's not a massive foul discrepancy between teams. Like the Sacramento Kings actually got the Boston Celtics into foul trouble in the fourth quarter with like seven and a half minutes remaining. The problem is they were struggling to hit their free throws tonight. But there was a stretch at the end of the first half where there was a ticky-tack offensive foul called. Mike Brown right here on the baseline was pleading with the officials for a call and looking over to his bench wondering if he should challenge it or not. Then... Immediately following that, there was a ticky-tack defensive foul called on the Kings on this end of the floor, and, and I caught Mike Brown like smiling and looking around going, what, what can we even do? All these, these whistles are going against us. And then after that, Jason Tatum got an and one. Those were the final three possessions, really, to end the first half. And then coming out in the second half, De'Aaron Fox picked up a quick foul. Mike Brown, a questionable decision to, uh, to, to review it, and... He loses that challenge, and the call stands, and again, the officiating just kind of, that, that, that stretch of the end of the third, uh, for, uh, second quarter and start of the third quarter really felt like it went against the Sacramento Kings. I was frustrated with the officiating tonight. A lot of people in this building were frustrated with the officiating tonight. Here's what I'll say. I'm not going to claim that the majority of the whistles that were against the Sacramento Kings weren't fouls. My issue with the officiating tonight is this. Call the game both ways. Just call it both ways. If you're going to let them play physical, let them play physical. And I will say, for the most part, I thought the officials let them do that in the first half, and then the second half, the, the whistle started coming out a lot more. But I watched DeMontis Sabonis get mugged in this paint over and over and over again. At what point I tweeted out, like, what do the Sacramento Kings have to do? What does DeMontis Sabonis have to do to get a call? I'm watching him get slapped on the arm. I'm watching him getting hit on the side of the head. Like, DeMontis Sabonis has been getting beat up in the paint. Like, he takes one shot to the head at least every single game. Now, I also think Sabonis has a little bit of European in his game where he tries to embellish and sell things a little bit. But again, call things both ways because I watch the Boston Celtics over here embellish and sell things all night long and get those calls. The officials aren't the reason why the Sacramento Kings lost tonight's game. The reason why the Kings lost is like we've talked about. The Celtics are a championship caliber team, and defensively they flipped a gear that the Kings weren't ready for. 
But the Kings really could not get back into this game and struggled to get back into this game because the whistle certainly wasn't on their side at times. And I just want to see the game get called both ways. Also, someone pointed this out. Uh, someone tweeted this out, and I retweeted it. You can check it out on my Twitter account, at Matt George Sack. And I apologize to who, whoever it was because not in front of me. Is, actually, you know what? I'm going to bring my phone out so I can make sure I, one, get the number right, and two, uh, get the, the Kings fan who tweeted it out, uh, give them the credit that they deserve. Because this... This blew my mind, right? And this speaks to officiating bias, or this this speaks to how different teams are officiated, right? I'm scrolling through trying to find it. This is always great to do on a podcast, and I'm stalling. Uh, it's from Hex, at Hex96 underscore. Uh, he tweets, free throw attempts in March. De'Aaron Fox, 48. Austin Reeves of the Los Angeles Lakers, 77. It'd be one thing if, like, Fox had 48 and Austin Reeves had 49 or 50. It's like, okay, Lakers bias. Austin Reeves has been playing well. De'Aaron Fox doesn't necessarily get the fouls that he deserves, whatever. That's a 30-foul difference. And if anybody in the right mind is going to tell me Austin Reeves attacks the basket more than De'Aaron Fox does, you're an idiot. It, look, Austin Reeves has been getting crammed down our throat lately because he's balling and he's playing really, really well, but he happens to play for the Los Angeles Lakers, meaning anything you do gets magnified, and Austin Reeves is now the latest Laker uh, that went from no name to suddenly, oh my God, this guy's incredible, and he's going to ride that wave until we don't hear anything about him in a year or two. It's kind of like the Alex Caruso effect, although I really like Alex Caruso, uh, and, and I'm glad that um, he's in Chicago. I know Chicago's not really performing very well, but I think Alex Caruso is, is actually a good player. So this just speaks to, like, whether it's an officiating bias or whatever it is, just call the game the same way for both teams. I understand stars get calls and things like that, even if the NBA officials want to deny star treatment, whatever. If the, King, if the Kings would have lost this game if it was called evenly. They would have. Again, that's not the reason why the Kings lost. But it's clear for everybody to see one side getting calls that another side's not getting. Tonight, the Sacramento Kings were on that other side. Today's episode of the Long Time Kings podcast is brought to you by FanDuel. We are in the closing stretch of the regular season. The hunt for the playoffs is on. It is the perfect time for you to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because new customers get a new uh, no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on anything from the money line to points scored and threes drained. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for the chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay. So look, give FanDuel a try. You really have nothing to lose. Deposit a, a, a little bit of money, make a bet on a Sacramento Kings game or a game line that you like or a player that you like or whatever and go into it knowing that it's not a sweat because if you lose that bet then you're going to have up to $1,000 in bonus bets for you to continue to play with and not just make that money back, but make even more money on top of that. That's because FanDuel wants you to play first, not necessarily just give them money and lose those uh, those sports wagers that you are making. Again, get your no-sweat-first bet, $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. I've really enjoyed lately being positive about Davion Mitchell. And i got to continue to be positive about Davion Mitchell in tonight's game because he finished with 13 points tonight, 5 of 8 shooting from the field, 3 of 5 from 3-point range, also had a couple rebounds and an assist. Now, on one hand, all 13 of those points came in the first half. So he didn't score and didn't do much in the second half. The Kings as a whole didn't score and didn't do much in the second half. The Kings didn't have a player score uh, 20 points or more. 
right? They had, I think, five or six players in double figures, all of them in the teens. So it wasn't necessarily a, wow, Davion had an amazing first half and then completely disappeared because, again, the defense of the Boston Celtics in the second half completely changed this game and got the Kings out of their rhythm. But Davion Mitchell, a big criticism that we've had of Davion, a big comment that we've had about Davion, or at least I've had here on Locked on Kings over the course of the season is, we know what he provides on the defensive end, right? Off night, just provides that awesome defensive presence that the Kings heavily rely on. Offensively, though, he looked kind of lost. Like, is he supposed to space the floor and shoot? A lot of the primary ball handling with the second unit, those duties have been turned over to Mike or uh, Malik Monk. Uh, what is Davion's role offensively? Well, as of late, he seems to really have figured it out. And it's not so much that he's figuring it out because he's kind of doing the same things. He's been doing what Mike Brown has been asking him, spacing the floor, taking outside shots. One, those shots are falling. And Davion Mitchell actually has a pretty nice jump shot. If he's going to hit 40% of his attempts or like 38% of his attempts, he absolutely is an asset on the offensive side of the ball. Plus, he's been using his ball handling a lot more. He's a good dribbler. And he had a couple moments where he uh, he, he used uh, his ball handling to create some separation uh, and set himself up for some nice mid-range jumpers and three-point jumpers, and a majority of them dropped tonight. But what I was most impressed with Davion Mitchell tonight is how well he ran the Kings' second unit. Like He has not necessarily looked like a point guard this season. He's a point, uh, a point guard defensively that's been playing a lot more of two and a lot more off the ball. Like I said, Malik Monk has kind of taken over those primary or their secondary ball handler roles. Tonight, there was a good stretch in the second quarter where both Malik Monk and De'Aaron Fox were on the on the bench, and Davion Mitchell ran the second unit, and I thought he ran it to perfection. Now, he was also out there a lot of the times with DeMontis Sabonis, and it always helps to play through Sabonis, of course, but that's not disparaging Davion. And you might say, Matt, he only had one assist tonight. What are you talking about? It doesn't necessarily just mean racking up assists means you're doing your job as a playmaker and as a ball handler. I thought Davion Mitchell was making the right decisions. He was shooting the ball at the right times. He was orchestrating the offense. It didn't look like there was any kind of offensive drop-off at all when De'Aaron Fox and Malik Monk were out of the game. And that is all that Davion has to do. He doesn't have to rack up a bunch of assists. He doesn't have to rack up a bunch of points. But be enough of an offensive presence where you can hit outside shots so the spacing is still there. Make sure the Sacramento Kings can run the same offense even when Fox, especially, is out of the game. Davion Mitchell did that tonight. I've been really pleased over the last really month or so. He's gotten a lot more confident in his shot. He's a lot more aggressive with the basketball, a lot more decisive with the basketball, and just looks overall a lot more comfortable on the offensive end of the floor. That was really exciting, and I had the opportunity to ask both Kings head coach Mike Brown and De'Aaron Fox about Davion's development in that area over the course of the season, and here's what they had to say. Mike, it seems like Davion is getting a lot more comfortable offensively and running that second unit. I'm just curious your assessment on how he's played these last couple of games and just his development over the course of this year. Davion's been really good. Um, He's been really, really good on both ends of the floor. And uh, there hasn't been, you know, many times I can think back where I could say he, you know, he's been a liability on either side of the floor. Uh, He's probably the one guy that uh, in these, especially these last couple of games, that has been as close to playing uh, on both sides of the ball at the highest level um, on our team when it comes to naming that person. So I, I'm happy with uh, Davion's development. Um, you know, again, the sky's the limit for him as a young guy. He's just so tough, and he's uh, always taking on on the challenge. And you like that from uh, from anybody on your team. 
De'Aaron, Davion seems to be looking a lot more comfortable, did a good job running the second unit tonight, especially in the first half. I'm just curious from your perspective as a point guard and ball handler, how you've seen his growth over the course of this season. Yeah, I mean, uh, we want to keep him confident. You know, obviously shots aren't always going to go in. Um, but, you know, we always want you to be a threat when you're on the floor. Um, and obviously a lot of times, most of the time he's out there with Domas, so obviously that's someone that you can really play off of. But uh, we always want him in attack mode. Obviously he does what he does defensively, but offensively we want him to stay confident and, and always be ready to attack. Let's talk about De'Aaron Fox tonight. He had 18 points, 6 of 11 shooting from the field, 2 of 5 from three-point range, only had three assists. Stat line-wise against a team as good as the Boston Celtics when you need to kind of lean heavily on your stars, like De'Aaron Fox didn't do enough. I think that's fair to say. I think De'Aaron might say that. However, De'Aaron Fox also put up 37 points in a loss last night where he literally had to carry the Kings through a first half because he was not getting any help. So whether it's fatigue playing a factor or the Boston Celtics defense taking Fox out of his rhythm, clearly De'Aaron was not that fourth quarter superstar Fox tonight that maybe the Kings needed if they had any chance of winning. That's a fair criticism. That's fine to point out. But the Kings lost this game as a team. They didn't lose this game because Fox wasn't ready for the challenger. DeMontis Sabonis' triple-double still wasn't impressive enough or they didn't get enough help off of the bench. It was a combination of everything. And I actually have more of a positive to say about De'Aaron than I have a negative in tonight's game because De'Aaron, as of late, has really shown the confidence that he has in that outside jumper. And that step-back three is about as lethal as it gets right now. I love the confidence that De'Aaron is, uh, is shooting the basketball with. And I talked about on last night's podcast, if he's hitting his three, he's virtually unguardable. I know the Celtics did as best as they could, sticking Marcus Smart on him. And, of course, Marcus Smart is a defensive player of the year. Like, if there's a guy that can have an effect on De'Aaron Fox, Marcus Smart is that guy. Fox still found a way to get his at times. That three-point shot is really, really exciting, and I love how confident he is shooting that shot. If that's something that he can continue to hit and the Kings can rely on, especially when it comes to playoff time, I think the Kings are in really good shape there. Then we have to talk about DeMontis Sabonis. Another triple-double for Sabonis, 16 points, 13 rebounds, 12 assists, but he did have six turnovers. I thought Sabonis was trying to do a little bit too much as a point center tonight. I'm very much okay with Sabonis taking the ball up the floor. I'm fine with it. The Kings run the offense through him. He's capable of doing it. What I don't like is what Sabonis was doing a lot tonight, which he was getting sucked in. He was getting a little too overzealous attacking the basket, even though he had a, or the Kings had a good first half. The majority of his turnovers actually came in the first half, but he was putting the ball on the floor, trying to get himself into the paint. Clearly wasn't comfortable going up for a shot or the right shot wasn't there, so he's trying to pass the ball out. The problem was he was leaving his feet and picking up his dribble a lot before passing, and that forced a lot of unnecessary turnovers where he to avoid a travel, had to try and kick the ball out, and then he would throw it to a Boston Celtic or just make a bad decision or a bad pass. So that's an area of Sabonis' game tonight that I'd like to see him clean up. I do want to ask you this too. How do you feel about Sabonis talking to the refs? Because like I said in the last segment, I think he has a legitimate gripe. Sabonis is whacked and beat up every single game. He's playing with a fractured thumb, for God's sake. Like, he has taken abuse all season long. But... Does he spend a little too much time talking to the officials? Like, more and more, I've noticed him getting more and more frustrated. Again, I'm not saying that he doesn't have a point or a reason to. I know uh, at times uh, Mike Brown has tried to stand up for his guy and publicly uh, in press conference settings saying DeMontis Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox need to get more whistles than what they're getting. But there are times where it's like, okay, DeMontis, just get back. Get back on defense or, 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 or forget about it, move on. Like, it's not that big of a deal. I'm not saying it's an issue. I'm not saying it's a problem. It's not like a DeMarcus Cousins level of distraction or anything like that. But 
Demonis Sabonis absolutely deserves a better whistle than what he's getting. It's not even close. Like that's not even a that's not even an argument uh, at this point. He deserves to get far more foul calls than what he is getting right now. However, I would like to see Sabonis kind of shrug it off a little bit more. And it's easy for me to say I'm not the one getting hit in the face. But move on, forget about it, uh, and 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 don't complain necessarily right out of the gate because he was complaining and asking for fouls in the first quarter of tonight's game. Again, I think he has a gripe, but it's just I'm starting to notice it more. And when I'm noticing it more, that's when I start to think, okay, it's a problem. It's certainly not on like Luka Doncic levels or LeBron James levels or anything like that. It's not that absurd. But it's something I notice, and I'm wondering if you've noticed the same thing. Let me know at MattGeorgeSack on Twitter. You can email me, MattGeorgeSports at gmail.com. Or if you're watching on YouTube, leave your thoughts in the comment section down below. Thank goodness for a two-day rest for the Sacramento Kings. They certainly look like they need it. Hell, we all need it as fans and media members. Five games and seven nights. It's fun to watch. It fills the time. It makes for easy content here on the Locked On Kings podcast. But I think we all need a breather. We all need a rest. Now, that's not to say I'm taking two days off here on the Locked On Kings podcast. I'm working to get a guest and, um, and still provide some great content for you. Uh, but the Kings are in need of this breather. And they actually have something. It's not that big of a deal, but something that's kind of a big deal to me that's on the line on Friday night's game against the Phoenix Suns. It's actually not as uh, it's not the standings, right? Like, in the standings right now, the Sacramento Kings are actually four and a half games up on the Phoenix Suns. Now, that number could shrink a little bit because I think the Suns play between now and then. So, four and a half is not insurmountable, but it's a pretty comfortable place for the Sacramento Kings to be at this point. For perspective, I think they're four and a half games back or around that four and a half, five games back of the Denver Nuggets uh, in, the, in the top seed. So, it's going to be hard for them to catch number one. It's going to be hard for them to drop to number four. But what's on the line in this game is the Sacramento Kings have not lost three straight games since November. So, they lost four straight games to start the season. They lost three straight in November. Since then, they have not lost more than twice in a row. That's really, really impressive for this team. What that says is this team has consistently been able to respond when they need to and not let things spiral out of control. Well, when you lost in Utah and you had a quote-unquote scheduled loss tonight to the Boston Celtics, with the Phoenix Suns coming in, you're already 1-2 and two against that team. You've already lost to them in this building before. That's going to be a tough matchup. So there's a very good chance that they could lose their third straight for the first time since November. That's not the end of the world. I think that's more of a big deal to me than it is to anybody else. But it's just something, I think, to keep an eye out on. The Kings have been able to avoid any kind of downward spiral, any kind of extended losing streak. And I think they uh, obviously want to do that as much as po uh, possible here to run into the postseason and not necessarily limp into the postseason. But if the Kings lose to the Phoenix Suns on Friday, it's certainly not the end of the world. Again, the Kings have a little bit of a comfortable margin. Though The biggest worry that I have is if the Kings lose to the Phoenix Suns on Friday, they're probably not clinching at home. They have three games left on this four-game homestand, to, to, and the magic number is still four wins for them to clinch. Uh, they can get some help by other teams losing while they win, and in one night that number can go from four to two. So hopefully that happens so the Kings can clinch on their home floor. I don't want to see them clinch in Portland and uh, the fans not be there to celebrate that, but overall those things are minor. The Kings are trying to build winning habits and put themselves in the best position right now to 
succeed in the playoffs and learn what they have to. And, of course, there's a lot from tonight's game and how the Boston Celtics defended the Kings in the second half that they can learn from. I appreciate your support, as always, here on the Locked On Kings podcast. Got the opportunity to meet a lot of you here at the Kings game tonight. You guys are the best. Uh, you know who you are. I, I absolutely loved it. Uh, some of you that I, unfortunately, was not able to meet. I ran out of time after the game, had to go down for the post-game press conference, but would love to meet you in the future. Uh, so many kind words from so many different people that approach me here at Kings games. Uh, I appreciate you so much. Love you so much and can't wait to uh, continue to do this for you and can't wait to see you when we're watching uh, playoff basketball here in the Golden One Center in uh, less than a month from now. Can't wait for that. I uh, can't wait to have you join me on the next episode of Locked on Kings. Until then, my name is Matt George. You have been listening to the Locked on Kings podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network.